Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 13 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. You behaved how you did despite the serious nature of the charge your sons faced and persisted in attempts to give them a false alibi for two months. Not even a mother is entitled to lie with impunity to save her sons who she knows to have been involved in a terrible crime. Judge Clement Goldstone QC, Liverpool Crown Court, April 2013. Kevin Bennett was known to patrons of the local pubs throughout Walton in Liverpool. The 53-year-old who did not always have a permanent place to call home often slept rough. The early hours of Friday, August 17th, 2012 were no different. Kevin would later be labelled a heavy drinker, and sadly, that description appeared to be apt given his circumstances. He had spent most of Thursday, August 16th, drinking throughout the day in the Queen's Arms pub on Walton Road. Reportedly, along with the alcohol he had consumed on the premises, 
he also drank around 10 to 12 cans of beer. Kevin would purchase more alcohol which he was carrying along with his belongings in a white carrier bag. He left the pub around 1am. His movements were captured by a CCTV camera. Kevin found a place to rest his head across the road from the pub in an alley behind an Iceland supermarket. It was not out of the ordinary for Kevin to do this after a night of drinking. What exactly unfolded around 5.30am on Friday, August 17th would be the cause for much debate in a courtroom. But based on the numerous injuries to Kevin Bennett's face and body, he had clearly been the victim of a terrible assault. He was found several hours later by supermarket staff arriving for work. They quickly contacted the emergency services. Kevin was rushed to the hospital. A portion of his rib cage was separated from the chest wall. In spite of the critical condition he was in, quite incredibly, Kevin had managed to inform the paramedics that he had been attacked by a gang of teenagers. He drifted in and out of consciousness. Scene of crime officers would find the outside element of the supermarket's air conditioning unit smeared with Kevin's blood. His empty wallet and a tape cassette featuring music by Bob Dylan was found nearby. Sadly, six days later, Kevin Bennett was declared dead at 2.20am on Thursday, August 23rd. A cause of death was confirmed by a home office pathologist. The post-mortem identified that injuries to the victim's body were consistent with severe blunt force trauma. As a result of the assault, Kevin Bennett suffered internal bleeding and when infection set in, his organs failed. Merseyside police knew that Kevin was subjected to a brutal attack. Still, none of the officers yet knew who was responsible or why they did it. It was confirmed that the investigation into Kevin Bennett's death was now a murder inquiry. Area Commander for North Liverpool Detective Chief Superintendent John Ward spoke with journalists. His comments were reported by BBC News. DCS Ward said, This is a tragedy for everyone who knew Kevin and our sympathies are with his family and friends at this very sad time. Kevin was a vulnerable member of our community who was probably asleep or minding his own business when he was outnumbered and attacked by a group of youths sometime in the early hours of last Friday. The detective chief superintendent went on to say that the investigation into finding Kevin's killers would not stop until all of the people involved had been caught. Quote, I would also call on the person or people involved in attacking Kevin to do the right thing and step forward and tell us what happened. 
A man has had his life taken away and his family cannot understand why. We need the community's help to solve this senseless crime. Only a matter of days would pass before an update from the Merseyside Constabulary confirmed that several teenage males had been arrested in connection with the incident. All of the suspects lived in the Walton area and were aged between 14 and 16. Any potential witnesses who saw the gang acting suspiciously around 5 to 6am on Friday, August 17th were told to contact the local CID. August 25th, 2012. Two days after Kevin Bennett died. The 14-year-old was the first suspect to be charged with murder. The schoolboy who did not speak at the initial hearing was closely monitored by two security guards. He was told that he could neither communicate with the other suspects who had been arrested nor members of his own family. However, the judge did acknowledge the important bond between mother and child, especially given the young suspect's age, so it was agreed the two could at least correspond through the written word. Social services would screen the contents of any letters before they were delivered. Judge John Roberts reached this decision because of the 14-year-old's age and their previous behaviour. The accused, who could not be identified at the time, was informed he would not be held on remand at a young offender institute. Instead, he was ordered to stay with a foster family outside of Walton. As with all cases where a child is being prosecuted for a serious crime, the judge managed the proceedings without his customary wig and gown. The other teenagers arrested in connection with the murder were released on bail. An investigation took place over a period of a month and a half before a further two suspects were charged with murder. Another 14-year-old and a 16-year-old were remanded in custody. Much like their accomplice, who was already under supervised care, their names could not be reported in the press. It was then the investigation took a puzzling turn. A further suspect was arrested. The 42-year-old was charged with perverting the course of justice. Their name was not mentioned by any national publications. However, her identity was revealed by the Liverpool Echo newspaper. Linda Doran lived on Tulan Close in Walton. Any connection she might have had to the other suspects was purposefully withheld so as to not reveal their identities. A trial was scheduled to begin the final week of January 2013. Kevin Bennett was homeless, vulnerable, and on the night he died, simply staying warm at the back of a supermarket. 
was horrendous. The injuries that he had in the one, I believe. And I mean, he had quite a lot of injuries and he was black and blue, he was just unrecognisable. Three teenagers suspected of beating and kicking Kevin Bennett to death stood in the dock. Two were aged 14 and one was 17, although he was 16 when the attack occurred. One of the 14-year-olds stood as a lookout as the other two teenagers allegedly took part in the physical act of the assault. They were accompanied in court by 42-year-old Linda Doran, who had provided an alibi when she gave multiple statements about two of the defendants and their whereabouts. These statements were later proved to be false. The three young suspects accused of murder initially denied they were anywhere near the scene when the attack took place, before changing their story and admitted to being in the area. An extensive network of CCTV cameras confirmed the gang's whereabouts. They were recorded roaming the empty streets and hanging off scaffolding. This evidence placed them near the scene at the time Kevin Bennett was assaulted. When presented with this footage, the gang then insisted they were not responsible. It was just a coincidence. They had only gone out to get some crisps and energy drink from a nearby corner shop. But under questioning during the trial, they were forced to admit they at least played some part in the events. Captured by security camera around 5.19am on a Texaco garage forecourt on Barlow's Lane, the teenagers were pictured trying on plastic gloves usually offered to customers purchasing petrol. They took several pairs, although discarded some on their journey. The prosecutor felt this indicated the gang planned to carry out a crime. Barlow's Lane runs in tandem with Walton Road, and as the crow flies, the petrol station is around 250 metres from the supermarket where Kevin Bennett was found. Prosecutor Alan Conrad QC described to the seven women and five men of the jury how the three teenagers were out during those early hours looking for trouble. CCTV pictured one member of the gang who acts as a lookout as the other two disappear behind the Iceland supermarket. Conrad told the court two of the defendants found Kevin Bennett asleep and they attacked him in an unprovoked, savage assault. Moments later, they reappear and all three examine the clothing of one of the young suspects. In the footage, this teenager again runs behind the supermarket back to the spot where Kevin Bennett is located, followed by another accomplice who is sprinting after him. The third member of the gang continues to act as a lookout. During the early hours of Friday, August 17th, 2012, Kevin Bennett had also been recorded by a closed-circuit television camera. He was intoxicated. 
Jurors were told Kevin was in a vulnerable state because of the amount of alcohol he had consumed. He would have been unable to flee if he was under attack and would not have been able to defend himself. Witness statements from the family and friends of the young suspects were gathered. Police discovered one of the teenagers feared they had killed someone and admitted what they had done. Another described the attack in graphic detail. A family friend to one of the defendants supposedly overheard them say, I kicked him in the head and I stood on his ribs. The noises were terrible. An aunt to another suspect was reportedly told that they attacked a, quote, smackhead. According to Alan Conrad QC, the assault was carried out for nothing more than a dare, with one member of the gang goading another into violence. Conrad said, Mr Bennett had done nothing to deserve such violence. Those who attacked him were much younger and more agile than he was, very young indeed, 14 at the time, 14 at the time and 16 at the time. As he was laughing, the now 17-year-old was alleged to have remarked to one of the younger co-defendants, Bet you haven't got it in you to do him in. If you kick him first, I'll do the rest. The 14-year-old would subsequently confess, I started kicking him. I booted him. Now he's dead. A few hours after the attack, one of the 14-year-old defendants turned up on his mother's doorstep unannounced. The mother and son did not live together. Describing how something terrible had happened, the teenager said he had been around the local Iceland supermarket when a drunk man grabbed one of his friends. In the scuffle, his friend had supposedly picked up a brick and struck the man with it. A serious assault followed. In the witness box, through a stream of tears, the mother of one of the defendants who could not be named for legal reasons explained that her son admitted to her that one member of the gang jumped on the man's chest. As they leapt from a storage container and brought their weight down, the man's ribs cracked. Apparently, as he told this story to his mother, the teenager seemed distraught and was genuinely remorseful. He admitted that as the victim lay fighting for his life, the gang searched through the man's pockets and robbed him. The teenager claimed that he was going to report what he did to the police. However, this never happened. He instead went on holiday to Wales with his grandparents. Once this suspect was tracked down, he was placed into custody. His mother saw him in the courtroom and was clearly upset. She said she had not seen her son in six months. When asked about him in court, his mother said, Oh gosh, he's the best. 
Defence counsel Guy Gozum QC representing the teenager asked the suspect's mother about her life. Did she have any personal issues? She admitted that she had a, quote, little problem with alcohol. As the examination on the stand continued, the defendant's mother was slowly forced to reveal that the conversation with her son did not play out precisely as she had initially described. It turns out that her son wanted to officially report what had happened there and then. However, his mother was drunk and did not want to go. She was asked by Andrew O'Byrne QC, who was representing the 17-year-old defendant, if at any point she remembered her son specifically admitting that he kicked the victim in the head. But she said she could not remember the exact details of the entire conversation. The reason why she could not be specific was brought into question. It was being suggested she did not want to admit to what she had heard as this meant her son would be in terrible trouble. When her 14-year-old son offered evidence, he would admit that he was the first to kick Kevin Bennett, although he said he was goaded into the attack by his 17-year-old companion. The older member of the gang was highly aggressive. That said, under cross-examination, Andrew O'Byrne QC representing the 17-year-old contended that his client was now being blamed for the actions of his co-defendant. It was your idea to cut through the back of Iceland, O'Byrne told the 14-year-old. Once you were behind Iceland, you began kicking at somebody. In other words, Mr. Bennett. My client tried to stop you and pulled you away. You moved away a little distance and then came back and started to attack the man again by kicking him. At some stage, you produced a stick and started hitting the man. What you have done since August 17th is to try and shift the blame onto my client. The 14-year-old on the stand denied this was the case. Interestingly, the 17-year-old defendant had seen Kevin Bennett being attacked by two other youths in July 2012 month before the 53-year-old was killed. The teenager even called an ambulance, staying at the scene until paramedics arrived. The attack took place at the back of a McDonald's restaurant on Walton Road, a short distance from where Kevin Bennett was later found by supermarket staff. The 17-year-old did not know the victim personally, although he admitted that he had seen him around the local area. Asked if he had played any part in the murder by bullying his co-defendants or by goading his friend into carrying it out under the guise of a dare, the eldest member of the gang said he had not. He claimed he grabbed one of his younger companions and pulled him away although this did not stop the attack as the 14-year-old ran back and struck Kevin Bennett again, this time with a stick. The 17-year-old described hearing noises coming from the victim, 
which he labelled painful. The defendant saw himself as an innocent bystander in the event. When questioned by another defence counsel, Guy Gozum QC, the teenager on the stand admitted that he had initially lied about being in the area during the time of the attack and only changed his story when he was presented with CCTV footage of his whereabouts. Gozim raised the topic of the two assaults and asked why the 17-year-old only contacted the emergency services the first time. The 17-year-old replied, I was scared I would end up where I am now. The background of the older gang member was revealed to the jury. He was attending a school for children with learning difficulties and he had a criminal record that involved violence. He had been convicted of a public order offence when threatening the manager at a B&M variety store. The manager had caught the defendant's girlfriend stealing, so the youth said he would return with his friends who would be armed with machetes. The defendant was also convicted of theft after he stole a mobile phone. The third and final member of the small group, one of the 14-year-olds, did not offer evidence in his own defence. Neither of the other suspects charged with murder suggested their co-defendant struck Kevin Bennett. It was the Crown who were alleging that he acted as a lookout based on the footage captured through CCTV cameras. Linda Doran was facing a charge of perverting the course of justice relating to the attack. She provided two of the defendants with alibis which the prosecution proved were false. When Doran was offered the opportunity to explain her actions, she told the jury that she thought the information she gave was correct at the time. It was only on reflection that she realised she got her days mixed up. A statement was initially taken at her home several weeks after the attack and a more formal interview took place with a detective at St Anne Street Police Station. Doran described to the jury the technique used by the officer when she was questioned. He came in with papers and said I need a statement off you and started demanding times and dates. I don't take any notice of clocks because I've never got anywhere to go. I was stressed out and depressed before I went in there anyway. Linda Doran's counsel, Andrew Downey, asked his client what happened after the statement was given. She did not recall the officer's notes ever being repeated back to her. She was in no way informed the police had evidence to the contrary. Doran was questioned why she would sign a statement if she did not agree with what was written. She replied that she was just doing what she was told, as the detective was being aggressive. When explaining how she ended up in this position, Linda Doran said she had two members of her wider family who had been diagnosed with cancer. It was the 14th anniversary of her brother's murder, 
and her neighbours were, quote, moaning about her behaviour. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families, and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Centair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code among us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. The jury began their deliberations on Monday, February 25th, 2013. They had heard evidence over the course of a four-week trial. It took them two days to reach unanimous decisions on each of the charges. As the verdicts were read aloud, two of the teenagers stood motionless. The third, one of the 14-year-olds, rested his forehead against the glass panel of the dock. He closed his eyes and tears rolled down his cheeks. Cries could be heard from the public gallery. 
All three of the young defendants alleged to have beaten Kevin Bennett to death were found guilty of murder. Linda Doran, who had provided an alibi that was later proved to be false, was also found guilty of perverting the course of justice. Kevin Bennett suffered a fractured eye socket, a collapsed lung and a broken ribcage in the attack. He died six days after the beating. CCTV shows him walking to the place where he was attacked. Shortly afterwards, the same camera captures his attackers making the same journey. Three boys about to commit the most violent crime. You wouldn't think that 14-year-old and 16-year-old kids could do that much damage, but they did. Sentencing did not occur straight away. Instead, the then honorary recorder of Liverpool, Clement Goldstone QC, who oversaw the proceedings, wanted psychiatric and psychological assessments to be completed on the teenagers before he arrived at a sentence. A further legal hearing was scheduled to discuss lifting the anonymity of the killers. The four defendants would be held in custody while awaiting sentencing. The judge said, None of the defendants is going anywhere for some considerable time. Quite apart from the gravity of the offences of which all the defendants have been convicted and the mandatory nature of the sentences the court must impose, I'm not doing anyone any favours by letting them go home. And they will not go home. I can't proceed to sentence without being assisted by those who can look into a crystal ball and decide how these boys will mature over the years ahead and when they will cease to be the danger they currently represent. After the verdict, relatives of Kevin Bennett provided a brief statement outside Liverpool Crown Court. Angela Conaty spoke about her uncle and how he was a loving person with a big heart. The family were glad justice had been served, although they never wished the experience on anyone. She said, We as a family would like to thank all of the officers who have helped us through the past six months since we lost our Kevin. He was cruelly taken away from his mum, son, brothers and family. Kevin Bennett's niece spoke about the funeral and the consequences of the murderous attack. We knew he was well liked, but the amount of people that turned out to his funeral, he was like the king or the Lord Mayor or something, do you know what I mean? It's just unbelievable, the amount of people. They've took everything away from him now, haven't they? Deprived him of ever becoming a grandfather, and that's the hardest part of it. When the judge had reached a decision on what sentences should be handed down. During the middle of April 2013, he told the three teenagers convicted of murder that it was a 
desperately sad reflection on this society that each of you was party to serious violence purely for the sake of it. Based on witness statements, the young killers had taken a life for nothing more than a death. It was agreed that their identities could be reported as it was in the public interest. Their names and faces were printed on the front pages of most national and local newspapers. They were brothers Connor and Brandon Doran, 17 and 14 respectively, and their 14-year-old friend Simon Evans. The youthful appearance of the killers made the brutality of the attack even more shocking. They had either short cropped hair or shaved heads, and their blue eyes stared directly into the lens of the camera when the pictures were taken following their arrest. The eldest member of the gang, 17-year-old Connor Doran, had said at the trial that he tried to pull away one of the killers, 14-year-old Simon Evans. Although he was successful, Evans supposedly ran back towards Kevin Bennett and again attacked him. The judge did not believe this story, and in fact labelled Connor Doran the pack leader. Clement Goldstone QC said the motive was violence for violence sake. The 17-year-old was said to have been the one to jump up and down on Kevin Bennett's ribcage, and he allegedly caused the fatal injuries. He was sentenced to a minimum of 12 years for the killing. Simon Evans may not have been the, quote, principal protagonist, but he had apparently delivered the first kick to Kevin Bennett. Evans was told This may not have been your idea, but you took part in the initial attack. He was ordered to serve a minimum of eight years. And then there was 14-year-old Brandon Doran, Connor's younger brother. He was sentenced to a minimum of six years. The younger of the two Doran brothers had acted as a lookout, climbing scaffolding and watching for any passers-by while the attack was underway. Turning to Brandon Doran, the judge said, You made absolutely no attempt to talk or pull your brother away from the violence. Once the three had finished their sentences, it would be up to the authorities to decide if they were fit for release. The judge remarked, Each of you, by your mindless violence and participation in it, have forfeited the right to enjoy in freedom the rest of your teenage years and in your case, Conador and your youth. None of you come from an ideal family background. Yours, Connor and Brandon, reveals a total lack of parental guidance, support and upbringing for which Linda Doran bears a heavy responsibility. The 42-year-old mother of two of the killers was then sentenced next. She had attempted to provide a false alibi for her sons. It would also be divulged that Connor and Brandon were not her only children behind bars. 
Linda Doran's 21-year-old son Jordan took a mobile phone with him into the courtroom and began taking pictures. As this practice is illegal, he was held in contempt of court and handed a six-month prison sentence on February 8th by the judge. This could not be reported at the time. His mother Linda had to give evidence about Connor and Brandon only days later. 21-year-old Jordan Doran had also been accused of killing a man. However, the charges of manslaughter, arson and burglary were dropped on the first day of his trial. The victim had died in a house fire caused by burglars. And then there was the eldest of Linda Doran's sons, Ryan. He was convicted of murder in October of the previous year. While outside a chip shop in Anfield, the 23-year-old who was high on alcohol and drugs attacked father of one Wayne Mitchell with a glass bottle in March 2012. Mitchell's skull was fractured when it struck the pavement. But after the assault, Ryan Doran was not finished. He then walked into a local takeaway and started threatening customers, spitting and shouting racist abuse, before the police arrived and he was arrested and charged. Doran was at the beginning of a life sentence with a minimum term of 15 years when his mother was handed a period of 30 months for perverting the course of justice. Quite unbelievably, there was only one member of the Doran family who was not in prison. Casey was 18 at the time. Three of her brothers were murderers. One was accused of murder but was in prison for contempt of court, and her mother was in jail for perverting the course of justice. When highlighting that Linda Doran already had a son serving a life sentence for murder, in a statement that was widely reported, the judge told her, there are not many parents who have that sort of personal agony to bear. But then again, not that many mothers would have shown themselves to be either so unwilling or unable to shoulder the responsibility of motherhood as you have. But then on a re-recorder of Liverpool, Judge Clement Goldstone QC called Linda Doran pathetic and tragic. You have just seen your two youngest sons sent to detention for murder, the judge said. Your code of honour was to protect your boys in their hour of need at any price, particularly if the price was honesty and decency. Your lying account prolonged the investigation by an already stretched police force and made it more difficult. Linda Doran had told police that her sons were home on the night they went out and committed murder. Elements of her defence could not be reported at the time as it would highlight the link between her and her sons, in turn revealing their identity. Linda Doran said that as she was unemployed, she neither knew what day of the week it was nor the time. Her sons frequently removed the batteries from any clocks throughout the house to power the controllers for their Xbox games console.
again paying tribute to her uncle Kevin Bennett, who she referred to as a lovely person who would do anything for anyone. Angela Conaty said, Justice has been done. And that's all we wanted as a family. We've had justice for his mother. Now she can sit down and grieve knowing they have been put away. She's not here today because she couldn't face it. Why did they pick on him? We keep asking and we'll never ever know why they did that to him. Neighbours of the Doran family were interviewed. They described how Linda Doran had no control over her sons. They were frequently out into the early hours. The police often visited their home. The brothers stole milk bottles off doorsteps, took clothes from the neighbours' washing lines and often fought with their peers. They continually jumped over the neighbour's garden fence when they could not be bothered to use the front door. Still, when challenged, they ignored the protests of furious residents in Walton. Their mother said there was nothing she could do. However, family members would admit that she was too soft on her children and never set boundaries. Linda Doran had faced multiple penalties for her sons being absent from school. They would arrive at the school gates but then go elsewhere despite the council paying for a taxi. The consensus was the streets were much safer with Linda Doran's children behind bars. Connor and Brandon were asked about their upbringing in court. They admitted that they were never given a time they had to go to bed. Linda Doran blamed her sons, saying she, quote, could not get to grips with them. Connor had a criminal record, as did his younger brother, Brandon. Connor stole a phone and threatened a shop manager with violence. Brandon received a police caution for arson. None of them had any scholastic achievements to speak of, and they had learning difficulties. Linda had separated from Connor and Brandon's father when they were young. She contended that her children suffered from attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Several friends of the family described how Linda Doran struggled with everyday life. Linda's younger brother Darren died in 1998. It was concluded that a heart problem was the cause, although the circumstances surrounding his death were suspicious, and an open verdict was recorded at the inquest. It was theorised that someone could have possibly injected him with drugs, although it was never proven. While arrests were made in connection with his death, no one was ever prosecuted. The family felt there was a cover-up going on, so they had a distrust of the police. Although on a national level the killer's identities were kept secret following a court order, 
In Walton, the area of Liverpool where they lived, it was common knowledge that they were responsible. When detectives turned up at the door and home, Linda never answered the door. This was a common occurrence considering all of the complaints the household would receive due to her children's behaviour. During mitigation, Linda Doran's counsel, Andrew Downey, tried to explain how apologetic his client was. She will suffer the public's outrage and can never hold her head high again. She has wanted to say, but doesn't know how to say, how sorry she is to the family of the deceased. The domestic situation of Simon Evans does not seem to be a matter that has been openly discussed in any detail. He was described in court as a model pupil at school until he became friends with the Doran brothers. This was only a week before Kevin Bennett was killed. Evans had been the one to admit to his mother who he did not live with that something terrible had happened. His mother had confessed on the stand that she had a, quote, little problem with alcohol. During mitigation, Simon Evans' defence counsel, Guy Gozum QC, told the court that his client's father had died a short time before the attack. Gozum said of Evans, He is very much aware that had his father been alive, he would have put a stop to being out as late as he was. Most of the reporting or public commentary has focused on two brothers who committed murder together and a mother who lied to try and see them escape that charge. After their arrests and initial appearance in a pre-trial hearing, Connor and Brandon Doran were placed in foster care. Reports of their behaviour were provided to the judge before sentencing. The judge highlighted their conduct while on remand and said that the children's welfare was not being put first when living with their mother. They had in fact been flourishing while under the care of another family. So where are we now? In December 2016, three years and nine months after he was sentenced to six years for his part in the murder of Kevin Bennett, Brandon Doran, who acted as a lookout during the crime, argued his case before Mrs Justice McGowan. Doran's good behaviour was highlighted and the killer hoped that he might be granted early parole. This was, however, not the case. Despite Doran's belief that he would have to only serve his minimum term, he was educated by the appeal judge that this period would need to be served regardless of behaviour, and even then if a parole board did not feel Brandon Doran was fit for release, then he would remain behind bars. Mrs Justice McGowan said, 
pursuing a relief of the tariff is bound to create hope and expectation, especially in a prisoner who is still only 17. It can only be hoped that the disappointment that will follow from this refusal does not discourage him. He has made some good progress and should continue to work with the prison to prepare him for his future. Simon Evans, who also murdered Kevin Bennett, appealed the minimum term he had to serve. Age 19, Evans was five years into his sentence in 2017. After he was convicted of murder, Evans was told he would have to serve at least a minimum of eight years before he could be considered for parole. High Court Judge Mr Justice Goose felt there should be no reduction in this sentence as there were no significant grounds to do so, considering the risk that the prisoner posed to the public. Mr Justice Goose also dismissed a request from Simon Evans' legal team to hide Evans' name in the decision. The judge addressed this in his remarks. He said, Whilst I recognise some anxiety on behalf of the offender that his name will be repeated in public as a result of this judgment, I do not consider that there are proper grounds to grant anonymity order at this stage. Simon Evans did not give up his fight to have his sentence reviewed. It went before another senior judge, Mrs Justice Chima Grubb. Evans' legal team highlighted that their client was mentoring other prisoners and was helping on the Samaritan's charity phone line. He wanted to complete his education and become a teacher. He was described as a, quote, very gentle, well-spoken young man with masses of compassion. Based on this evidence and a psychiatric report which detailed his remorse, Simon Evans was successful in his application when he was told that he could apply for parole a year earlier. In her remarks, Mrs Justice Chima Grubb said, I'm sure that the time has come to mark this young man's positive approach to his life, his commitment to the service of others, and his willingness to take every possible step he can to achieve his long-term life goals without repeating the errors of his youth. When each of the killers is eventually released, they will remain on license for the rest of their lives. If they stray off the lawful path, they will be recalled to prison. The case is desperately sad for so many reasons. The father of one lost his life because of nothing more than a death. But another tragic element was highlighted when Judge Clement Goldstone QC was sentencing Linda Doran. He told her, Your children have benefited from the stability and care which their lives in care and on remand have brought to them. It seems inconceivable that being placed in foster care following a charge of murder 
was seen as an improvement to the circumstances of two teenage boys. Thank you for listening. A special thanks to our new Patreon producer, Deborah Hevelin, and everyone who supports us through Patreon. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.